Chapter Eight of Pocket Island. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. Pocket Island by Charles Clark Munn. Chapter Eight, The Husking Bee. When David Newell, a prosperous Southton farmer living over east, as that portion of the town was designated, invited all the young people in the vicinity to his annual husking bee, everyone knew that a good time was in store. Card-playing was considered a vice in those days, and limited to a few games of seven-up, played by sinful boys on a haymow, and dancing was frowned upon by the churches. On the outskirts of the town a few of the younger people occasionally indulged in the crime of taking steps to music as a change from the pious freedom of kissing parties. There was one sacrilegious person named Joe Dency living in the East Side neighborhood who could not only make a fiddle talk, as the saying was, but call off and keep time and head, foot, both arms and entire body as well, and at once. To describe his ability more completely, it might be said that he fiddled and danced at the same time. When the anticipated evening came, Manson and Liddy, as well as other invited ones, arrived at the Newell barn, where everything was in readiness. In the center of the large floor was a pile of unhusked corn surrounded by stools and boxes for seats, and lighted by lanterns swinging from cords above. No time was wasted, for Joe Dency was there, and everyone knew that the best of a husking came after the corn was disposed of. And how the husks flew! When a red ear was found by a girl, the usual scramble occurred, for unless she could run once around the pile before the young man who discovered it could catch her, he claimed a kiss. Manson, who sat next to Liddy, kept a sharp watch for he didn't intend to have some other fellow steal a march on him. He noticed that she husked cautiously, and when presently he saw her drop an unhusked ear by her side, he quietly picked it up and found it was a red one. He said nothing, but her action set him to thinking. It was not long ere the pile of corn melted away, and then the floor was swept. Joe Dency took his place in one corner on a tall stool, and the party formed in two lines for the Virginia Reel. There is no modern function that has one-half the fun in it that an old-time husking bee had, and no dance that can compare with an old-fashioned contra-dance enjoyed in a big barn with one energetic fiddler perched in a corner for an orchestra and six lanterns to light the festivities. It was music, mirth, carefree happiness and frolic personified. The floor may have been rough, but what mattered? The young men's boots might have been a trifle heavy, but their hearts were not, and when it came to balance and swing, with the strains of money musk echoing from the bare rafters, the girl knew she had a live fellow's arm around her waist, and not one afraid to more than touch her fingers, lest her costume be soiled. Girls didn't wear costumes in those days. They wore just plain dresses, and their plump figures, bright eyes and rosy cheeks, were as charming as though they had been clad in Parisian gowns. 
When the dance was over, all were invited into the house to dispose of mince pie, cheese, donuts, and sweet cider, and then, with the moon silvering the autumn landscape, the party separated. As Manson drove along the wooded road conveying Liddy to her home, he felt a little curious. He could not quite understand why she had taken pains not to find a red ear. All the other girls had found one or more, and seemed to enjoy the scramble that followed. "'Why did you not husk that red ear?' he asked her after they were well on their way. "'Simply because I do not like public kissing,' she replied quietly. "'Some girls do not mind, and perhaps they like it. I do not. It cheapens a girl, in my opinion, or at least it certainly cheapens a kiss. You are not offended, are you?' turning her face toward him. "'By no means,' he answered, and then, after a pause, he added, "'I think you are right, but it seemed a little odd.' "'I presume I am a little peculiar,' she continued. "'But to me this public kissing at parties and huskings seems not only silly, but just a trifle vulgar.' When we were children at the district school, I thought it was fun, but it appears different now. Then, after a pause, if I were a young man, I would not want the girl I thought most of kissed a dozen times by every other fellow at a party. It is customary here in Southton and considered all right and proper, while card-playing and dancing are not. I would much rather play cards or dance than act like schoolchildren. "'I most certainly agree with you, so far as the cards and dancing go,' said Manson. "'And now that you put it in the way you have, I will agree with you regarding kissing games.' As these two young people had just entered their third year at the academy, and Liddy was only eighteen, it may seem that she was rather young to discuss the ethics of kissing, but it must be remembered that she was older in thought than in years, and besides, she was blessed with a father who had rather liberal and advanced ideas. He did not consider card-playing at one's home a vice, or dancing a crime. "'A penny for your thoughts,' said she, after they had ridden in silence for a time, and were crossing a brook that looked like a rippling stream of silver in the moonlight. "'I was thinking,' he replied, "'of a night just like this four years ago, when I went home with you from that party at the Stillman's. It was an event in my life that set me thinking.' "'And have you been thinking about it ever since?' she said, laughing. "'If you have, it must have been an important event.' "'No,' he answered quietly. "'But if it had not been for that party, "'it is likely I should not have gone to the academy, "'and most likely I should not be escorting you home tonight.' "'I do not quite understand you,' said Liddy, "'and then, with an accent of tenderness in her voice, "'Tell me why, Charlie.' "'I am afraid you will laugh at me if I do,' he said. "'No,' she replied. I will not. Why should I? Well, he continued, to be candid, I was rather ashamed of myself that evening, or at least ashamed of my clothes. 
Then you told me you were going to the academy, and for that reason mainly I wanted to go. So you see what resulted from my going to the party. I did not think father intended to send me, and he would not if I had not coaxed him. My first term there was not very pleasant for many reasons, and had I known all I was to encounter, I think my courage would have failed me. I am glad now that it did not. He paused a moment, and then continued in a lower tone, "'Whatever good it has done me is all due to you.'" No more was said on the subject, and as they rode along in silence, each was thinking of the curious web of emotions that was molding their lives and making definite objects grow from intangible impulses. He was hardly conscious yet what a motive force in his plans Liddy was destined to be, and she was filled with a new and sweet consciousness of a woman's power to shape a man's plans in life. When her home was reached, and after he had assisted her to alight, they stood for a moment by the gate beneath the maples. No light was visible in the house, no sound of any nature was heard. The sharp outlines of the buildings were softened by the moonlight, and the bold formation of the blue hills, vague and indistinct. The nearby brook, as of yore, sparkled like silver coin, and the landscape was bathed in mellow light. As Liddy's face was turned toward him, a ray of moonshine fell upon it, and her eyes seemed to fill with a new tenderness. It was a time and place for loving thoughts and words, and what these two young hearts felt called upon to utter may be safely left to the reader's imagination. When Manson drove away, he felt that the future was bright before him, and that life held new and wonderfully sweet possibilities. If he built a few air castles as he rode along in silence and alone, and if into them crept a fair girl's face and tender blue eyes, it was but natural. The magic sweetness of our first dreams of love come but once in their pure simplicity, and none ever afterward seem quite like them. We may strive to feel the same tender thrill, we may think the same thoughts and build the same fairy palaces, woven out of moonbeams and filled with the same divine illusions, but all in vain, for none can live life over. When Liddy entered her home, her footsteps seemed touched with a new life. Perhaps the effect of money musk had not entirely died away. End of chapter 8 Recording by Roger Moline